Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about things being absolutely atrocious. I'm your host, Mio Wall, and today we're going to do something a little different. Instead of our normal sort of escapades through the torment and the sort of crumbles of the modern world, we're going to take a step back into history to trace through the history and class psychology of a kind of guy who is a recurring character in the history of North America and who was responsible to a greater extent than you think for some of the worst atrocities this world has ever seen. Now, I, I hesitate to, to, to use the word class as a way to actually describe these people because the people we're going to be talking about are from completely different economies, completely different class structures, completely different systems of production. So we're sticking with the, 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 the loose term kind of guy. And this kind of guy is a kind of guy that I have termed the debtor slaver. Now, this at first glance, this, this is a confusing term. My word processor, at the very least, gets very, very angry with me every time I try to write it and insists that, no, 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 I must in fact mean debtor slave. But no, I do not mean debtor slave. What I'm actually referring to is a kind of guy who is both hopelessly in debt and also in command of enormous economic ability resources, most often slaves. To get a sense of what I'm talking about here, we're going to start with the archetypical debtor slaver, Hernan Cortez. Hernan Cortez is, by all reputable accounts, an enormous piece of shit. 
A broke noble born in Spain in 1485, Cortes managed to parlay an initially successful career as a sort of adventurer into a slave plantation in Cuba after he helped, after he helped conquer the island in 1511. From there, through a combination of, I, I shit you not, this is, this is actually what the historical records say about him, uh, wearing too many gold chains and spending too much money on his wife, uh, his finances imploded and he fell into debt. This led him to embark on his infamous conquest of Mexico in an attempt to pay off his creditors. Here I'm going to turn to the work of the anthropologist David Graeber. Uh, rest in peace, miss you, buddy. Graeber describes the absolute horror of entire populations sold into slavery, slaves with faces covered in brands indicating who they'd been bought and sold by, entire populations worked to death in mines, empires drained of wealth by men whose lust for gold and silver seemed to know no end. And yet, somehow, both Cortez and his men seem to have come out of the other end of one of the most important conquests in human history, completely broke. Now, it's easier to explain how Cortez's men came out of this broke. Uh, they came out of this broke because uh, Cortez and his officers were extorting and robbing them mercilessly at literally every step of the campaign by charging them utterly exorbitant prices for everything from bandages to like having to buy their own weapons, which were being sold by, guess who, Cortez and his officers who had a sort of cabal going on with everyone who could sell things. And once the conquest was done, Cortez and his officers simply seized most of the share of their loot from their men as payment for all of the stuff that they needed. And I, I mention this not to inspire sympathy for the conquistadors. Like, these are these are some of the worst human beings who have ever lived. And managing to somehow lose money on one of the most brutal sackings of a city in human history is, like, the least of the punishment they deserve. But... On the other hand, their debt, and the debt of Cortez himself, goes a long way to explain what happened next. Here's Graeber. These were the men who ended up in control of the provinces, and who established local administration, taxes, and labor regimes. Which makes it a little easier to understand the descriptions of Indians with their faces covered by names like so many counter-endorsed checks, or the mines surrounded by miles of rotting corpses. We are not dealing with psychology of cold, calculating greed, but a more complicated mix of shame and righteous indignation, and of the frantic urgency of debts that would only compound and accumulate. These were, almost certainly, interest-bearing loans. And the outrage at the idea that, after all they had gone through, they should be held to owe anything to begin with. Now, th this is the sort of trademark psychology of the debtor slaver. It's an, an incredibly toxic mix of shame, indignation, outrage, and desperation that breeds an incredible kind of violence. And it's determined in large part by the conditions of modern compound debt itself. Here's Graeber again. Money always has the potential to become a moral imperative unto itself. Allow it to expand, and it can quickly become a morality so imperative that all others seem frivolous in comparison. For the debtor, the world is reduced to a collection of potential dangers, potential tools, and potential merchandise. 
even human relationships become a matter of cost-benefit calculation. Clearly, this is the way the conquistadors viewed the worlds that they set out to conquer. Now, it doesn't take long until not only human relations, but human beings themselves become a matter of cost-benefit calculation, a set of merchandise that value could be extracted from. And here emerges the debtor-slaver. Now, very clearly, all debtors do not behave like this. In fact, almost all debtors across all places and all times do not behave this way, or the world would be a place that makes even the hell we live in now look like a paradise. There's another factor at work here that distinguishes the debtor from the debtor-slaver, and that's power. The debtor-slaver already wields, or has wielded, enormous power over other people, either through direct violence or, as we'll see later, through the command of economic power. This is one of the products of the righteous indignation Graeber described earlier. These are people who are used to wielding power, who are suddenly now beholden in a real and immediate way to someone else. And so, they set about solving the problem the way they've solved everything else in their life, throwing violence at it. Now, if you've been paying attention closely, you might realize that I've actually been describing two different sort of ranks of debtor-slaves who sort of fuse into one mass in Cortez's conquistadors. On the lower end, they're the people who kind of loosely be called adventurers, essentially a kind of mercenary, out for a big score, be that slaves, be that land, be that stolen loot, that could vault them out of debt and into the aristocracy. This is the sort of mil- general military base of the conquistador army itself. On the higher end are people like Cortez, who, having already technically, you know, who are, who are already technically plantation owners, but through their own ineptitude, have still managed to become heavily indebted. And combined, they form a group responsible for three centuries of the greatest evil the world has ever seen. Now, these two groups, in a broad sense, need each other. The adventurers may have weapons, they may have some training. But, at the end of the day, they have very little in terms of liquid capital. And liquid capital is something that you need in order to run a military campaign. Because in order to keep all of these people, all of these sort of adventurers, all of these sort of debtor-slavers, all of these sort of would-be conquistadors in the field, you have to produce, you know, things like food, things like boots, things like medical supplies. And this is where the plantation owners come in, because... Those are people who, even though they're enormously in debt, and even though very often they're either fleeing their debtors or uh, all of their debt's about to be called in, these are people who still technically have lines of credit open. And they, and, you know, also, they're also people who sometimes have allies in more sort of solvent people in their same class. So they're able to sort of funnel liquid capital into these sort of ventures. And this is a process that we are going to see again after these ads. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year 
Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. And we're back. Moving forward in time a few hundred years and north a few thousand miles, we come to another scene of debt, subjugation, and violence. The plantations of the American South. Now, this is not the primitive, unhallowed 1500s, where slaves would be marked like tally sticks as they were passed back and forth between sword and pike-wielding Spanish barbarians as they slaughtered their way through one of the greatest cities the world had ever known. This is the benighted 1800s. This is the age of steam power and railroads, the age of electricity, and the advent of the global telecommunications network. What would come of this new era of progress? One of the greatest of all world historical crimes, the conversion of human beings into increasingly complex financial instruments. Plantation owners, contrary to their depiction in media, which... They've gotten almost, those, those people have gotten almost as good PR as cops, which is fairly incredible considering they haven't really existed as the sort of slave-owning class that they used to be in, you know, what, 100, 100-ish years? I don't know. I'm, discuss among yourselves when you think sharecropping has sort of decreased to an amount where these people, like, are no, no longer around as a class – but, you know, okay, despite the sort of PR that these, like, southern gentlemen get, these people are constantly in debt. And they're, you know, constantly attempting to solve the problem of them being in debt with the only thing they know how to do, which is slavery. And when I say they're trying to solve this problem through slavery, um, we're, we're going to get to the more complicated ways to try to solve this with slavery. One of the big ways I try to try to solve this with slavery is just whipping people harder. It's brutal and horrible and yeah it, you know the, this this is a system that is 
whose the the efficiency of which is just built on profound human violence. So let's 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 establish that right off the bat. This is the worst kind of slavery anyone's really ever done. Yeah. Now, you know, another factor for these people essentially turning into debtor slavers is the fact that these people are constantly putting themselves in self-inflicted debt in order to do speculation. And this is the part where they start doing shit that is difficult for me to even try to explain while adequately capturing the horror of the process. The Southern planters begin to create an entire separate financial network based entirely off of the quote-unquote value of their slaves and their land. From the historian Edward B. Baptiste, Yet enslavers had already, by the end of the 1820s, created a highly innovative alternative to existing financial structure. The Consolidated Association of Louisiana Planters, despite its name that CAPL was still a bank, created more leverage for enslavers at less cost and on longer terms. It did so by securitizing slaves, hedging even more effectively against the individual investor's loss, so long as the financial system itself did not fail. Here is how it worked. Potential borrowers mortgaged slaves and cultivated land to the CAPL, which entitled them to borrow up to half of the assessed value of their property from the CAPL and banknotes. To convince others to accept the banknotes thus distributed at face value, the CAPL convinced the Louisiana legislature to back $2.5 million in bank bonds due in 10 to 15 years, bearing 5% interest, with the faith and credit of the people of the state. The great British merchant bank Bering Brothers agreed to advance the CAPL the equivalent of $2.5 million in sterling bills. By the way, that is a unfathomable amount of money now. Uh, that's not $2.5 million. That is, that, is it. that is an amount of money that will make your ears bleed. The equivalent of 2.5 million in sterling bills and market the bonds on European securities markets. The bonds effectively converted enslavers' biggest investment, human beings or quote unquote hands, from Maryland and Virginia and North Carolina and Kentucky into multiple streams of income, all under their control, since all borrowers were officially stakeholders in the bank. The sale of the bonds created a high-quality credit pool to be lent back to the planters at a significantly lower rate. Sorry, at a rate significantly lower than the rate of return they could expect that money to produce. The pool could be used for all sorts of income-generating purposes, buying more slaves to produce more cotton and sugar and hence more income, or lending to other enslavers. Borrowers could pyramid their leverage even higher by borrowing on the same collateral from multiple lenders, while also getting unsecured short-term commercial loans from the CAPL by purchasing new slaves with the money they borrowed and borrowing on them too. <laughs> they had mortgaged their slaves, sometimes multiple times, and sometimes they even mortgaged fictitious slaves. But in contrast to what Walsh had promised Nolte in 1824, 
This type of mortgage gave the enslaver tremendous margins, control, and flexibility. It was hard to imagine that such borrowers would be foreclosed, even if they fell behind on their payments. After all, the borrowers owned the bank. Using the CAPL model, slave owners were now able to monetize their slaves by securitizing them and then leveraging them multiple times on the international financial market. Now, okay, having have, having just spent a, a decent amount of time running through the sort of finance of this, I, I need to reiterate, these are human beings who are being enslaved and tortured constantly, the ownership of whom is being mortgaged to a bank and then sold and traded as assets on the financial market. What, what they have done here is like 2008-style financial collapse like, set of collateralized loan obligations, except the loans are backed by fucking human beings they forced into slavery. It is a level of evil that is almost incomprehensible, because th- the very financial language that is necessary to explain what they're doing, by necessity, conceals the horror of what's actually being done. And what's actually being done here is hundreds of thousands of people are being sold into slavery and forced to clear land and work on land that has just been stolen literally, like, you know, in some cases, like, the day before by indigenous people who have just been sent on the Trail of Tears. And this is, this is being done to fuel these new financial instruments. Now, in, in a somewhat ironic twist, the product of this entire thing, the product of all of this land clearing, the product of Andrew Jackson's war and the second bank of the U.S., the product of all of this sort of speculation is uh, the plantations wind up producing too much cotton, too much slave cotton. And this quickly becomes an absolute fiasco. Debt suddenly outpaced the entire value of the slave crop. And, you know, the entire financial system begins to implode. So it, start, it starts in sort of the UK and the European markets that had taken a bunch of these, these sort of slave bonds. But eventually the financial collapse spreads. And, you know, as we heard in the article, right, the way these banks are set up, the way these, again, like these, these banks that are just all of the bank is just slaves. And I guess I, I, guess I should also take an aside here to mention that like the normal banks are also doing stuff like this. It's just that the, the South not being content to just have normal banks taking, you know, doing mortgages, like they're taking out mortgages on houses with slaves as collateral. Uh, they've they decided to create like their, in, their own entire financial network that's just slaves and nothing else. Well, land too, but yeah, slaves and land. This entire thing sort of just collapses in on itself. And th- this leads to, to an even larger mass of debtor slavery plantation owners. And this is where we turn from plantation slavery to some good old-fashioned conquistadoring. One, one of the sort of myths of, of slavery, of the way that you know, slavery has been sort of understood in the West, particularly in sort of Europe, well, particularly in the U.S. and the U.K., which have these sort of like complexes about, you know, like the sort of inevitability of abolitionism and 
the sort of benevolent empire against abolition or whatever. You know, there's there's this sort of like that you get these economic arguments too that the people people will argue that you know slavery was like gonna collapse anyways, like people would just let it go, it would have fallen apart, and that that is just sort of nonsense. And one of the things that this one of the things that this conceals is that slave power was constantly expansionary. It's never sort of like sl- slavery was never a system that was sort of just contained in one place, right? It was always pushing. It was always attempting to, you know, seize new land. It was always attempting to seize new slaves. It was, it was a system that could only really survive if it was constantly able to seize new territory and seize new slaves in order to work it. And so there's a lot of sort of products of this, right? One of the sort of earlier ones is you get these settlers pushing west, attempting to turn sort of new states into slave states. And these are, you know, these are often, like the settlers here are often the sort of men, like euphemistically described as adventurers, who are like, you know, these are the people who fought for Cortez, right? Like, they are people desperately attempting to stay one step ahead of their creditors by invoking the time-honored American tradition of slaughtering indigenous people for their land, which, you know, could then be turned over to speculators or could be turned over to the sort of wealthier backers. And these men, and, and in this period, these are almost always men, although that's going to change uh, pretty soon. But these men are so violent and so disruptive that at various points in the late 1700s and early 1800s, the U.S. like attempts to stop them from settling any further, lest they sort of disturb American foreign policy efforts. Um, and these efforts fail. And the product of this is that Manifest Destiny's, you know, trail of corpses pushes even further and further west. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. 
That's trinityschool.org. Now, but by the, by the 1850s, there, there's a new sort of conquistador who's setting out to, you know, conquer in the name of the cross and paying off the creditors. And they're called filibusters. Now, th- this is actually where the, the, these people are where the term filibuster is a sort of like, like thing that you do in the Senate to not let people do stuff. Like th- this, this is where that comes from. It's these people. Um, these are okay. So you know the, the official descriptions of them will say things like private armies. I uh, there are more these kind of like ragged bands of like slavery mongering genocideers who are backed by, you know, largely by Southern plantation owners, sometimes by Southern states, occasionally by just Northern banks, because the place they're trying to go is somewhere the banks, the Northern banks want to sort of seize control of. And, you know, these people set out to conquer new slave states by, you know, straight up seizing control of places like Cuba or Mexico. Uh, They do a bunch of this stuff in Texas. It doesn't really work, but, you know, the, 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 I mean, part of the complicated thing of talking about the filibusters is that, like, in some sense, the most successful, like, attempt to do something like this was actually Texas. But those people weren't really filibust. Like, the people who actually successfully seized control of Texas, like Sam Adam and his sort of crew of merry miscreant slave owners, those guys aren't technically filibusters. But, you know, they, 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 they do sort of succeed in bringing in Texas as a slave state. But yeah, you know, I mean, these people are, they keep, they keep launching invasions of fucking Cuba. They keep launching these invasions everywhere. There's a really great movie called Walker. That's a sort of fictionalized account of probably the most famous filibuster, a guy named William Walker. And well, okay. So it starts with his attempt to like conquer Mexico, which doesn't go well. Um, But then it sets out for his attempt to conquer Nicaragua, which like kind of works. Like he actually takes Nicaragua for a little bit, you know, but be- this, this 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 movie version of it's also like it's an anti-war film about the U.S. backing the Contras and it rules. I'm talking about it because nobody's ever watched this thing. And the studio, when, when they when they f- like actually figured out what Walker was and that it was, you know, like an, an anti-war film about <laughs> the Contras, uh, they, they literally killed the entire movie. And the director, Alex Cox, who's the guy who did Repo Man, like he literally never worked in Hollywood again after this. So yeah, go watch Walker. Understand it's a little, it's a bit fictionalized. It's mostly an anti-war film about the Contras. But, you know, I mean, part of what he's trying to trace out, and part of something that is very important about this, is that, you know, the the the, the there's, these, there's these sort of lineages of American colonialism. And part of these lineages is that, you know, like, that literally does not matter, like, what century you're in. The U.S. is trying to seize control of Nicaragua. Now, Okay, so but back back to the sort of filibusters main line. Unlike the conquistadors who were kind of like, I don't know, they, they had a combination of being really, really lucky and also like genuinely having some pretty good leadership, even though, you know, good leadership, but for evil. I uh, uh, Those guys were really successful. Uh, the, the filibusters, they, they mostly failed because... Again, this is these these are mostly sort of just like bands of like marauders. They don't have, they barely have supply lines. Like I don't know. Sometimes they have real weapons, but they're not especially competent. And but what 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 they did do is 
they kill a lot of people. And this, this is one of those things that's sort of like, I don't know, it, it gets sort of romanticized or gets sort of like brushed over is that like, yeah, no, these, these people like, they're, they're like these, these groups are basically like rolling lynch mobs. And so, you know, they're, they'll, they'll be doing something. They'll run into a town. They'll just, they'll just kill everyone. They will enslave people. They will rape people. They do shit that is just absolutely abhorrent. And that's, that's the sort of legacy of this stuff. And, you know, they probably would have kept doing it and, you know, except they were stopped. Right. One, one of the sort of like legacies of these people is eventually the sort of slave powers like wind up in bleeding Kansas, which is a sort of semi-civil war between the pro slavery, anti-slavery forces in Kansas that like leads to the regular civil war. But, you know, I mean, I, th- I think I think it's sort of important to understand about this entire thing is that these people just kept accumulating power and kept accumulating power and kept accumulating power until someone stopped them. And that was also true of the conquistadors, right? Like, I mean, you know, and like arguably, arguably the sort of descendants of those people are still in power, but like, you know, the, the, the Spanish were not run out of the places that they had conquered until people sort of fought them. Now, the last thing I want to do is I, I we're we're also not free of this kind of guy. Um, it, it kind of manifests in different ways, in in sort of more recent times. I I think probably the 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 closest we have to the sort of like corporate Cortez thing are the people behind the sort of I, I it gets it gets rebranded as mergers and acquisitions, but the the the, the people behind the like leverage buyout, um like corporate raider stuff on wall street in the eighties who, you know, and then the, the reason, the reason they sort of, th- they, they behave and they think in a lot of the very, in a lot of the same ways as, as the sort of, as the sort of debtor or slavers is that their, their financial techniques leave them in basically the same situation as, um, as, as, as your Cortez, which is that the, the way that these people take over a company and these, these, these are basically finance people. These are investors, who have figured out a way to seize control of companies. And the way they figured out to do it is they, they essentially, they sell bonds to other investors. So the, the short version of it is that, yeah, they, they go into an enormous amount of debt personally, right. In order to, you know, have enough money to just buy up the stock prices of the company. And, you know, they, 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 they say, well, okay, we're going to buy, say, 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 say your stock price is $35. They're like, okay, we're going to buy the stock at $40. And unless the company can, you know, like somehow raise their stock price above that in order to fend them off. You know, this one person who's taken on an enormous amount of debt now suddenly just owns the company and he can transfer the debt onto the company. And then he has to start, you know, just stripping assets from it. Right. He has to find ways to make money. He has to find ways to sort of raise the stock price of this thing, you know, and this is usually done by like stripping people's pensions, by firing people, by just destroying entire like, entire sort of like people's livelihoods this is done by just dismantling companies wholesale like toys r us is the last company that sort of famously had this happen to them they just get completely dismembered and they get completely dismembered because the the people who buy these companies right and you know this eventually sort of turns into firms etc 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 but those people are also unbelievably in debt right and you know, it's debt that they impose on themselves, but doesn't that you know it, the the sort of psychological effects of it 
are very similar. And, you know, I, 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 I think, I think the thing about sort of like the late, the late 20th and early 21st century is that the violence gets outsourced. So, you know, these people still have slaves, but the slaves are like, you know, the, the slaves are owned by a contractor who's like a contractor of a contractor like somewhere way down the line. But, you know, the 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 sort of strategic stuff and the the way that these people behave is very similar. And and I think it's worth noting that there's there's two there's people who there's a couple of people who come out of this era who are very important now. One is that one of the people who comes out of this sort of 80s, 90s era who was also constantly in debt and is also just sort of like a murderous, like incredibly vengeful person who who's also sort of dealing with these same kinds of like you know the, the the who's tapping into this sort of emotions of the sort of like indignation and outrage and desperation like is Donald Trump and you know Donald Trump I think is a sort of tragedy version of it and then you get to see it we've, we've been getting to see it with uh with Elon Musk as a sort of farce version of it where he's you know increasingly desperate to try to like dig himself out of the hole that he got by buying by having to leverage himself so much to buy Twitter. But yeah, we are we, we remain haunted by the specter of this kind of guy. And they've done they've done enormous harm to the world. They're probably going to keep doing enormous harm in the world. And yeah, but but again I I I I think it is worth thinking about them psychologically and worth understanding that it's not that you know like at the core of sort of like the capitalist death machine are not necessarily these like incredibly cold rational calculating people it's a bunch of people who are frantic who are desperate who are very very angry and that doesn't make them sort of you know it doesn't make them more sympathetic it just makes them more violent It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.